0: That was a nightmare. That was a nightmare. Uh, I was going to give you the benefit uh, of the doubt. I thought it was going to be like a fun nightmare. I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. But it's it, it's going to be an interesting, I don't know, like just, um. well, I don't know what I was expecting, but that's what I got. So, uh, this listeners, is the
1: Tired Boys episode. Mason and I have both been through hell this week trying to move, but we're yep. giving you a show anyway. All right. We, it's, it's, we are recording this on, uh,
0: the Fourth of July itself, Independence Day—probably the last listen, one of these we're ever gonna have, honestly. Like all things considered, listen, um, yeah, today What's
1: up? is nothing else but me enjoying the Griffin family and enjoying the real first family, which is the Griffin family. Listen, <laughs> we can do we, we can do it. We can do whatever we want on this day going forward. We can change it to whatever we want, but all things considered, on July Fourth, that's me and the Griffins, baby. That's what I'm doing.
0: That's cool. I'm probably going to go put on a mask and go for a nice long walk around my new neighborhood. That's about what my uh, plans are today. Maybe see if there's Smart. Any fire, a socially distant fireworks display, watch some shit get blowed up.
1: That's an know. easy thing to do socially distanced because it's like, you know, it's up in the fucking sky. It's not <laughs> like it's, you know, down on earth with you. So good activity.
0: Yeah. Welcome to what's on the list, folks. Fuck, <laughs> this, this episode is crazy about right now. Underrated uh, movies, movie, movies, music and media and other such things. I'm your co-host, Mason, joined as always, uh, by my co-host. Introduce yourself, no. co host.
1: Noah Marger. <laughs> Noah Marger. I listen, we're tired boys. We're tired. I boys. just I just put all my shit in the storage unit. Uh, Mason just moved into a new into the city of Chicago. Uh, so we are Square. both
0: So if you see me on the streets of Logan Square Give me a wave and maybe I'll give you a hug I don't know I feel like that's a good, that's a fair compromise I know we're probably not supposed to be doing that But uh, I don't care I miss
1: hugging I'll get some hugs You're, you're threatening the listeners with a hug Is what I you're am doing threatening right now. the listeners with a hug <laughs> that's, that's nice I guess That's sweet Um yeah, man, this is, like I said at the very beginning, this might be a Tired Boys episode, but listen, we're so devoted to the pod, okay? We the can't pod. not do an episode.
0: Nope, not at all. It's, it was the option came up to just skip this week, and um, we did not take it. We're going through, talking about two. Um, I think that it's, it's an interesting duo that we have today. Uh, it's a Noah's Pick album. <laughs> it's a Mason's Pick movie. And uh that's all I have to say about it. No, do you how was so you moved yourself into a storage unit. How was that week-long trip? How long have you been back also? When did you get back from
1: that? So I left on a Thursday. I took a couple days to drive down there cuz you might think just because Oregon is the state that is neighbors to the north of California, you know, Ooh. that it would be somewhat of a quick trip. Still about a thousand mile journey when it's all said and done. Big state, California is. Yeah, gigantic. And <laughs> I've seen a lot of it. Uh, and so I, I you can do it in two days. It sucks, but you can do it in two days. I've never done it in one day. I have done it in two. But I really hope that I never have to do it in one. I could do it in two again if I had to. But this time, <laughs> excuse me, because I planned it out, I was able to do it in three. And uh, I was there. I packed it all up. Uh, Honestly, it was pretty much a blur, to be totally honest with you. I was, you know, very much just like, okay, let's get in and get out. And then it took another three days, basically, to get back. And uh, I've been back for – this is, I think, my second – this will be day two of being, like, back fully, so – uh, big, big whirlwind, big, big changes, big coronavirus out there, big coronavirus <laughs> energy out in the still, world right now. Still
0: but... still going through that, aren't we? That's still a, a thing. That's still a big time situation that's happening. It, it's very weird that, um, the America, like being in America right now in the midst of this pandemic, a lot of people think it still doesn't exist or whatever. It's fucking crazy. There's, there's people out there that just will... St- yell at their city officials for daring to suggest that they put on a mask. It is a very strange time. And on top of that, um, basically, revolution is still occurring. Yep. Uh,
1: And we have an election in November. And we have
0: (laughs) an election in November. Uh, Life during wartime. Uh Uh (laughs)
1: Uh-oh! Buddy, buddy, I don't know what you think you're fucking doing right now, but we gotta save that! Put a pin in the show.
0: Put a pin in that, folks. Also, I'm. Here's the thing. I don't know if I mentioned this on the pod, uh, but I, until very recently, I didn't realize that put a pin in it meant put a pin in it, like on a corkboard I thought that you would. It was like, uh, put a pin back in a grenade so it doesn't explode.
1: <laughs> what does that? Can I don't you know. even Do that? I don't think you can do that. I don't
0: think you can. But I thought that that was the like the origin. Like, oh, my take is so
1: explosive. On this, I like can even put the pin back in the grenade so it doesn't kill people. I guess that's fair. Like, I think we've all had, like, little moments where, like, you think that something means one thing and it actually means a complete other thing. Like, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was – I remember when – back in the day when you could actually go and get your hair cut. Uh, I don't know if you remember those TBT. days, Mason. Yeah, TBT on that one. But uh, I remember my dad was getting his hair cut. This is when I was, like, elementary school. And I was waiting in the lobby with him or before him. And they had like a little bin of shit that you could pick out if you were a kid and you were waiting. One of them was a Monsters, Inc. book, like a licensed book with the Monsters, Inc. characters. And the mm. name of the book was Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm. But I like looked at the cover and I was like, it's kind of weird. This is, <laughs> I, this, is like, this is like weirding me out. I don't know. So I like walked up to my dad as he was getting his haircut, and I looked at him and I said, Dad. Who's its cover? And he's like, What the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, It says, Don't judge a book by its cover. That's such a weird name for a person. And then he was like, Buddy. Noah." That's adorable,
0: <laughs> actually. That's actually a really cute story. I like that yeah. a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was seventeen years old. Though, so <laughs> makes it a little bit makes it a little bit worse, but yeah, you're right. It is adorable.
0: Uh but yeah, so we got like we always do, got an album, we got a movie, Noah. Your turn to talk the album this week. Do you want to intro our choice yeah. for the move for the book this week?
1: Of course for the book? For the for the, for the movie, album. Yeah. For the yeah. album. For whatever. What are you doing over that. there? What
0: are you I'm doing? I'm a very over tired there? boy. I have not had any I've not had any
1: food today, listeners. I've just had a couple cups of coffee and some water. And you do not want to talk to Mason before he's had his cup of coffee, okay? You do not want to talk to that boy before he had at least fifty thousand cups of coffee, but uh, this is not the this is not the funny mom's podcast. <laughs> this, is, this is the this is the uh this is the uh the stupid moms podcast if anything. This is
0: not the live laugh love cast. This is the uh... <laughs> This is the eat pray love cast. So This is the bless this mess. I need to get Organized as is- his is- I- whatever that, that poster in Travis Bickle's apartment and taxi driver. Oh, you know I, one? one of these
1: days I'm gonna get organized. Yeah, this is the yeah. I, one of these days I'm gonna
0: get organized podcast.
1: But no, just- what? All right, listen, let me fucking do this. Okay, so we yeah. got it. Uh, album this week is "Worry" by Jeff Rosenstock, 2016. Claps, 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 claps. So uh, this was a very, a very important album to me. Uh, this is a. Album that I listened to a lot when I moved to L.A. Uh, originally, and this is an album that I have basically listened to, if not in whole, the pieces of the album continually for the better part of the last year. Uh, I got into Jeff Rosenstock uh, specifically in college uh, with the album We Cool, mostly the song Nausea. I think most people That's a know great song jeff rosenstock through that song it is a great song and that's a really good album as well like we could easily have talked about that album on this podcast as well Mm because it's a great album he himself is just like an underrated guy he's been doing music for you know the last basically like 15 20 years professionally Mm -hmm. um he started with a group called the arrogant sons of bitches that i don't know a lot about but they're a long island based punk group And then after that, he transitioned to a group called Bomb the Music Industry. And I want to say, I could be wrong on this, but I want to say, like, one of their, like, big callings was that they just would, like, let people use their music for free, you know, like, Mm -hmm, in, like, mm -hmm. media and stuff. Because they were, like, fucking anti, you know, corporation or whatever. And so they were like, you can just use our music for free. And I was introduced to that band by one of my best friends uh, when I was at the end of high school. I was uh, introduced to the song The Shit That You Hate, which is from their 2011 album Vacation, which is a good album as well. I think Jeff ended up doing some stronger work solo, and I think that's partly why he went solo, ultimately. But the album that we're talking about today is Worry. 2016 album released months, mere months, before Trump was elected. Like, a month, right? It came out in
0: October, I feel, right? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It was
1: very close to when Trump ultimately won uh, the presidency and won the election. And uh, it is, according to Entertainment Weekly, they actually ranked this album the ninth best overlooked album of the last decade, if you can believe that or not. Interesting.
0: Okay. I can't, I, uh, that's interesting. I did not know that at all. I like that, though. It's very cool.
1: and one of the things that they say about the, uh, about the album is that, and I'm going to paraphrase here, I don't know the name of the author who wrote the article. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, and I'm paraphrasing. But essentially, what they said is that although it came out, you know, mere days, you know, ultimately before Trump was elected, it still resonates as one of the most authentically feeling albums of what it's like to live under a Trump presidency, which I think Mm -hmm. is interesting. I think that's an interesting way to look at it because the album, although it comes off as very fun at times and very high energy, there's a lot of political stuff that Jeff is talking about in this album, specifically uh, throughout there are very personal tracks that are dealing with like emotions and love and like yearning and stuff. Mm-hmm. but it's duly a political album about gentrification and mm-hmm. the internet and stuff like that. So lots of fun interesting things that we can talk about here, but Mason, what is your history with Mr. Jeff Rosenstock?
0: Similar to yours, I didn't get into him really until I think after I graduated college and I think that worry nausea I was familiar with probably the very end of my college like life. So that would have been late 2016. And then when sure. this album came out, he was sort of on my radar. So I gave it a listen. I got this album mixed up with, um, when you suggested it, I was like, oh great. And you also said it was going to be the Tired Boys con- um, podcast in our text conversation, getting this thing set up and like kind of us talking about our lives right now. And I'm like, oh great, this is going to be so fitting because the first song on this album, Jeff Sings, We're tired, we're bored, we're tired, we're bored. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. When I listened to this album, Listen to Worry, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I had that mixed up with the first track off of his 2019 or 2017, 2018 album, Post, which is uh, USA, I believe, or Your Throat. Uh, But I was like, oh, wait, maybe I didn't listen to Worry when it came out. Uh, So I'm listening to it, and then by the time Festival Song comes up, I'm like, I remember this song. I remember Festival Sure. Popped in and out with him. I'm a bigger, I, um, was a really big fan of his 2019 uh, project, Anartico Vespucci? I forget how it's said. Anartico Vespucci, which he did with Chris Farron. Um, that's a really good project. Um, and I think that Love in the Time of Email, that's actually a 2018 album, uh, that would also be Uh a really good one for the show, I think. Um... But yeah, a guy that I definitely admired, and when I listened to, just um, really vibed with the, the the kind of high energy and the earnestness, and his um, his song like his songwriting. Uh, but never like one of those guys that I always loved when I would like be listening to his music, but never thought to come around and like seek out when I needed to listen to music. You know if that makes sense um but For sure the, yeah but i really 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 like jeff rosenstock and uh yeah i remember when this album came out in 2016 it's crazy that it's a uh it is at once a very prescient album and also a very um like it, it's an album that is as much about being in 2016 as it is about being in 2020 it's a very late capitalist angst album which totally. was a big um surprise for me this go through so you said this was came in this album was big for you in college what was your like did you listen to specific like songs off of this album or what like when you're coming in and out like when you first heard it the first time do you remember your impression and like listening to it now like what did you feel about it or like what were you picking up on
1: well i think just in excuse me in general i think for me I actually talked about this with friend of the pod and frequent guest Rocky Parito, because he is a huge Mm -hmm. Jeff Rosenstock guy as well. Um, And we were talking about, we actually had sort of back or not backwards, but like reverse experiences where for him worry was his Jeff Rosenstock college album. But Mm -hmm. for me, we cool was sort of our, like was my college Jeff Rosenstock album. So I -hmm. think I actually logged more hours uh, on certain songs on We Cool, specifically Hall of Fame uh, and Nausea, of course, and then um, just like some of the like just like some of the like floater tracks in there. Um, and so I would listen to certain tracks off Warrior. I listened to We Begged to Explode, which is the first track off the album, so many times in college mm-hmm. because it's one of the. It's not as much a political song or as much of like a uh, social commentary track on the album as some of the other ones are, but it's very, uh, melancholic and very sort of personal, you know, to whatever he's going through. His most recent release, uh, is insane. It's like all personal tracks as far as I can tell. And, uh, it's, 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 it's a doozy as far as like, damn, you can really tell that Jeff is going through something, uh, in this album
0: the 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 whole first like half up of the like um so listening along to it for the on the second time it is split between like um back to ex- the first six tracks are very much like and i think even on the like on the vinyl he like has it separated like a track and b track and he like was very um uh uh like um intent on putting the, this collection of songs together this way where the first track like the first bit of it up until Pietro 760 years old very much sounds like um it's very much uh, the first part of this album is all about like him sort of growing up and out of his scene and then like how gentrification is destroying all the places that he used to love and all these like memories um, and the second part is like how do you, from Pietro, sixty years old until the end, which is just like it goes, it's like a straight through. It's like a bullet that last totally the album um, is all about like fighting against these uh, the, like, these capitalist forces to like mate, hold on to the only thing that like you can kind of have claim to at that point, which is like just the love that you feel and the love that you have, um, and especially off the top with we beg to explode. Um I'll, there's the 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 chorus is all these magic ma- moments I've forgotten, all these magic moments I've forgotten, all these totally. magic moments I'll forget once the magic is gone. That's such a like it, like i I think of that and I remember when this out al- when I was listening to this album a lot, or like Jeff Rosen talked a lot when this album came out, I was like right when I freshly moved to LA and all I was doing basically was missing the like, it wasn't, like, punk shows. I was doing something much nerdier, which is going to, like, house comedy shows and missing all of sure. those, like, spaces, you know? Sure. And, you know, once all my friends moved out of the one... We talked about it, the ice cream joint. Like, when that ended, basically, um, I was in L.A. and I couldn't make it to the last show, but that was a very important space for me. And now it's just, like, uh, another house on a block in Chicago, you know, that I think about a lot. And especially, like, in this, this go-through especially staring out the window at your old apartment was a really resonant song for me. Cause it is about like, it's weird to look at that part of town. I don't think it's been like gentrified or like, um, se- severely as far as I know. I think that building that, that, that party was in those parties were in is still standing and it's probably in the same condition, but I do definitely re- the, the feeling of not, um, of, like, living through, like, a collective thing with a bunch of people and that you can have that moment together and it's, like, very much connected to this physical structure. And then when that's gone, uh, it's a difficult thing to try to, like, feel. Like, it's a difficult, like, feeling to have, like, those memories because it's, like, you're you're remembering how young you were almost. You're remembering right. um, all that stuff. Did you have anything like that in college, like um, – a like kind of collective like kind of house area or collective like kind of like or like in high school or college or even before in pre-quarantine like a place kind of like like a diy kind of place almost where it was the 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 fun was putting on a show underneath like um like like putting just the joy of putting on a show with your friends did you ever have a space like that
1: yeah, it was uh, fucking everything. Now you know. When yeah. I was doing, oh when yeah. I was, sure. Yeah. When I was doing those shows uh, with those guys back uh, in LA, and like you know, I've told them this, but like you know, although I'm not a part of the main cast, you know, every single time that I would do the show, you know, that was like that's like some of the best memories I have from my like first year in Los Angeles. It really made me feel like a part of a group, and it's the thing that made me go, okay, maybe I should try give ucb classes a shot and then sure enough three <laughs> weeks into my ucb training uh the coronavirus and uh that was yeah. that was like you know a really important thing for me especially that first year it was like you know i would you know hope that i would get that text from rocky that's like hey can you do the show you know tonight usually mm-hmm. on sunday nights is when i would Uh, do the show if I was doing the show. But that was like that. But, I mean, even regardless of, like, a DIY space, you have, you know, just, like, you if you ever drive through your old neighborhood, you know? Just looking Mm -hmm. at, like, oh, man, I used to have a friend who lived in that house over there. Like, especially when, like, for me, going to school out of state, when I would come back... And I would have an opportunity to take a car and just drive around the old neighborhood. It was like, oh, man, I used to play with that kid at that park. Or, oh, man, I used to, like, go over to that kid's house all the time. And, like, one time we accidentally, like, broke his mom's vase or whatever it was. Like, you just have memories of spaces, you know? And I think that's something that he sets up early on in this album um, because – The first half of the album really, they feel like individual little songs. Like I would argue up -hmm. until blast damage days. Like obviously Pietro, sixty years old, is like a small little interlude that's not even a minute long. But I would argue up until blast damage days, each of the album is operating on like a like singles idea. Like it's like you have these little singular songs, and then once you hit blast damage days the rest of the album is just like one big song and you're just speeding through. And I think that actually is what makes this album. I'll just say, I think this is a perfect album. I think this is Mm -hmm. a 10 out of 10, like masterpiece, you know, Mm -hmm. album. I think that this is like, I would just put this on, listen to it all the way through no skips. Uh, But that second half of the album is, I think what makes it that because you're going from song to song uh, from Blast Damage Days all the way to the end of the album with perfect sound, whatever. And you are just getting this, like, overwhelming rush of emotions, of different ideas, and he's able to go jump from personal to political and mix the two together, talking about gentrification and talking about feeling old online. Because Jeff's not necessarily, like, a young buck, you know? He's not, no. like... he's, like, uh,
0: 37 now, so he would have been, like, 32 or something or 33 when this album came out which is like old and punk years basically
1: totally he was like a punk grandpa you know if you even (laughs) want to call it that like i can't imagine jeff doing you know the people's elbow off the front of the stage on a like nassau county municipal stadium on long island or whatever it is but he's quite an image you just you just (laughs) drew there thank you chef um but i just have to imagine that you know the way that he talks about The internet on this is so personal to him because I have to imagine that the older you get, the less in touch you feel with the quote-unquote culture. And I think that that's one of the things that he's really able to talk about specifically and personally is feeling like he has to conform to whatever the popular trend is. And he literally talks about that very slyly in the third song on the album festival song. He literally writes an ironic song that he could play at Coachella or outside lands or something like that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. That's, um, and that was a big song for me. And that song's also about like, it's, it's a huge like kind of crowd pleasing song, but it's also about like, um, working through the complicated emotions you feel when you're like selling out you know quote unquote uh, there's a great anecdote sure. in the the genius track listing here um, Jeff at Pitchfork Festival Rosenstock's band played festival song before he came up came in with the vocals. He noted several critiques of the sponsorship and commercialism of the specific festival that he was playing at, including a humorous poke at the expenses of, of the festival itself, $7500 for us to play this festival. It's it's uh it, it that's very punk to me too. <laughs> it's very like sure. And you know you you hear like, you know, Green Day is basically Uh, it it happens to a lot of bands that I think that like kind of sell out or whatever, like, like Green Day after, uh, a certain point just gets like, they love the money so much. And they're really just tracing after their like 2004 era image or something on this, like their most recent album, which is by all accounts, a complete embarrassment. Um, but Jeff still like keeps the spirit alive as far as I can tell, because it's not a, it, it feels, I haven't listened to the Green Day album, so I can't like compare the two. But just speaking on worry this this album right here um there is uh um you, you kind of feel at any moment that um the music and the and the, the the songwriting would could kind of spin away from him like it's a very good album i think about being caught like uh in the middle of like a world and a part like a like being in a very, like, um, I think, emotionally stressful, I, I will say, this totally. entire boy podcast. I don't have all my words available. But, like, in your 30s, all your friends are grown up. And, like, maybe a lot of the people that were in your scene have, like, kind of, you know, settled down or whatever. Uh, if they were lucky and are, like, you know, off doing something else. Jeff is still out making music um, and just feeling like man, I really lived through a life. And that's kind of what... Um, which song is that? Um, I'm just looking it up here real quick. That's kind of what... Um, I don't have the genius up anymore. Uh, that is kind of what uh, Wave Goodnight to Me is about a little bit. And, to, and um, I think... Um, Man, go off. I'm so tired. I have no idea
1: what I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to fucking save the podcast here. Ready? Three, two, one. So, yes. the, <laughs> the, the, the album is about getting older. You're 100% yeah. right. It's about getting older and worrying, Haha, that... Mm-hmm. You are slipping through the cracks of the things that you used to enjoy. You are slipping through the cracks of time, and you are unable to catch up with how fast the pace of the world is moving, and you are unable to fully comprehend the internet and how to stay current and how to stay relevant. That's what the album's about, I think. And I think that on a political level, he's watching these neighborhoods of specifically Brooklyn, I think he talks about mostly on the album, turn into a place that white people can move because buildings are being gentrified. And he's very concerned about that. And I think he's able to talk about those things very specifically. He's really writing about, what he knows here, I think on the Wikipedia, it's got a quote here that says, I just feel like people at this point don't think you can do it another way anymore. It's just so accepted. It's like, oh, yeah, we got to be doing it this way. These going there's going to be corporate sponsors on this thing. The uh, And then he also talks about um how the fuzz is obviously about you know police brutality, which is obviously a very prescient issue right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wave goodbye to me or goodnight to me is about gentrification and pushing people out to be a ghost and that whole thing. It's amazing how he's able to take to be a Go- uh, to be a ghost at the beginning of the album and basically do that mini run from blast damage days all the way to while you're alive because it's to be a Coast ellipses while you're alive and then yeah. track sixteen ellipses while you're alive it you know, rocks it's, it does it's kind of a magic trick and he's that is what makes the album so interesting is that he does this run of blast damage days bang on the door my personal favorite track on the album is a 90 second track track 11 rainbow just the lyrics please don't take my love away um or please don't take my i think it's fuck no did he, <laughs> <laughs> no did he fuck up what is it um it's um, here we go ready Nope. Mm-hmm. Ha man, this this is the best episode we've ever this is the. Best, I can't so. wait. This is so fun. This is great. But, I, this is the best episode we've ever done. But uh it's you know, he's got that please don't take my love away. And the yeah. way he's able to use his instrument to push forward these ideas and musically change the idea from something that's a little bit more poppy to punk to like just thrashing his vocals up against these like I don't want to say alienating sounds. The sounds can be alienating at times, but all the while you have this like aching feeling. I feel like while you're listening to this album and uh, it's perfect and I love it and I'd highly recommend this album and I don't want to talk about it anymore. Mason, I highly recommend recommend this this album album?
0: too? Uh, I highly recommend this album too. Very tired boy's opinion, but yeah, this is just like, (laughs) this is a real, uh, it's, it makes you, it's, it, uh, it kind of like with, Spanish love songs, brave faces, everyone. It yeah. uh, does a very good job of making you feel um, like uh, comforted in the storm. Make you very much, make you feel uh, kind of. It's it's good at looking you in your eyes in your most kind of difficult and sometimes most isolating emotions and being like, no, I feel that too. So uh, I love like this album. Uh, it's a it's. I just want to close by saying. And it's not like the love they showed us on TV. It's a home that can burn. It's a lift, limb to freeze. It's worry. Love is worry. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful sentiment. We love sentiment. that. We do love that. So now, folks, we're moving on to what I think is a semi-unprecedented on this show, which is one yeah. of the two hosts bringing Mason. on... Mason. me, the host in this instance, bringing on a... Uh, movie or an album during a duo episode, during a double trouble episode of just the two of us that neither of us have seen. Folks Well I had not seen Life During Wartime before. It has been on my list.
1: What? (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? That's
0: the name of the show.
1: It's been on my list for a long
0: time and I didn't have a good movie for this week so i thought fuck it i'll just put something that's been on my list uh and do this week's episode having seen the movie and with this other wider context of this being the sleepiest episode of all time should have gone with something that i uh had seen a million times uh, had seen before but uh yeah make your bed and you sleep in it so this today we're talking about todd salon's <laughs> 2009 i believe um yep dark comedy satire Quasi-sequel to his film Happiness Life During Wartime. Claps, 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 This has been... Todd Salons is a, a filmmaker that I really liked and I think still do like a lot. I like his movies. Um, hadn't seen a movie of his, any movie of his, I don't think, since 2016, so when Jeff Rosenstock's album came out. Uh-huh. This one was also, always very elusive to me. Never sat down and watched it, so I thought, fuck it, why not?
1: Let's do it. Let's sit down and watch Life During Wartime. And, uh. Fuck it, who gives a fuck? Who cares? I'm sitting down. I'm watching Criterion <laughs> Channel with the fucking boys. Who gives a fuck? Uh,
0: and, uh, yeah. Noah, what's, what? your, what's your
1: history with the man himself, Mr. Todd Solons? <laughs> So, uh, Mason, I don't know if you've seen this article. I feel like this article is something that every young (laughs) cinephile looks at at some point in their life. But Premier Magazine released an article, I don't know when, uh, prior to the 20, I want to say prior to 2015, that was the 25 Most Dangerous. Films Ooh. of all time, Ooh. and I would go to that list. You have, I think, number one on that list. They said was Weekend, Jean-Luc Godard's film Weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, In the Company of Man, I think, is on that list as well. Um, Un Chien Andalou, uh, the short film by Luis Buñuel and Salvador Dalí, is on that list. Mm-hmm. So you know, you kind of get the kind of the kind of vibe that we're rocking with here. And yeah. I don't know exactly uh, what they mean anymore when they say dangerous. I think they just mean movies that. Uh, suggest some evil shit, I think <laughs> is what they is what they mean when they say dangerous in this premier magazine uh, list. But I found this list, and I was somewhat familiar with all the movies on that list, except for Todd Salon's Happiness, which mm-hmm. happens to be on that list. And there's a great video store in Portland proper in the southeast part of Portland called Movie Madness. I believe... Outside of Scarecrow in Seattle, it is the largest video rental store in the United States. And it is also part of a museum that has, like, costume pieces and everything that you can, like, look at. It's, like, very cool. Like, I loved going to that place. And once I was actually able to take myself into Portland, either by public transit, which, actually, I'll just say it. Portland public transit, underrated. Underrated. the underrated Are we going to have a on the list episode <laughs> of Portland Public Transit? <laughs> <Friends>? Honestly, no. <laughs> <Not> because <laughs> that would suck dick. But I do think it's underrated. I think it's actually pretty good, especially considering Portland is like, quote unquote, a big city, even though it's not really like that big of a city. Like Seattle right, is a big yeah. city. Portland's like the biggest city in Oregon. So whatever. Who gives a fuck? But either by the time I was able to take myself via car when I could drive or if i would hop on the max or a bus with a friend and we would head down there just to fucking do it this is bad. this is remember when, back in my day you could just hop on public transit without yep. having to worry about catching the fucking coronavirus baby yep. um and so i would go down there and they had everything and that's actually the place i watched my first foreign film at i rented the 400 blows from uh from that, from that restaurant, <laughs> I almost said from that restaurant, from <laughs> that video store. Tired uh, boys, I that <laughs> tired boys pod. But uh, that's where I rented Happiness, and I remember watching it on DVD in my house and being fucking shocked that you could do stuff like that. Yes, in a movie, and it's important that we talk about Happiness a little bit because mm. life during wartime. Is essentially, it's arguably a, like a legit sequel yeah. to happiness, but at minimum, it's definitely a spiritual sequel. And so uh, I was watching that movie. I haven't seen that movie in a while. I'd really like to rewatch it because I actually think I'd like it more. Because mm. to be honest with you, I remember watching it. And the first thing I thought was, man, I feel like fucking shit right now after <laughs> that watching.
0: The, that is the salon's power, baby. Like, that is why you watch a salon's
1: movie is to feel like shit. <laughs> 100%. And he's great at it. But he's he's great at, at like not the kind of feel like shit that you watch when you watch something like a Gaspar Noe film, you know, yeah, it's a different yeah. kind of feel like shit where you really do kind of take self inventory. I feel like, and you kind of take stock yeah. of yourself and realize that, wow, people are actually capable of evil, but like don't have to be, you know what I mean?
0: Todd Salons is like Todd Salons is the number one filmmaker I can think of that like makes good movies that reminds you that you share a planet and a society with just
1: absolutely miserable motherfuckers. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. And <laughs> and end of discussion. We recommend it. No, but so I remember. I remember uh, being very interested in this filmmaker, and so uh, in college I checked out uh, "Welcome to the Dollhouse." I rented mm. that from the Chapman Library, and once again, ba da ba ba ba, I felt like fucking shit watching that movie as well. But again, in a good way, where I'm like, man this guy really knows what the fuck he's doing. If he's able to fucking yeah. do that and, like, tell that kind of story, I mean, these are, I mean, this girl in Welcome to the Dollhouse, she's just shit on for an entire and run There's for time. no reason in that
0: movie either. Like, there's nothing that goes right for her um, at all. And even, like, Welcome to the Dollhouse rocks. I love that movie so much. That would be, like, my, that would be, like, the where you should start with Todd salons. And if you really feel like getting, like, deeper and like really dwelling in the misery of this guy like by all means move forward but you do not want to start with your Todd Salon's journey with a happiness or with a life during wartime or with a dark horse or with a storytelling god forbid you know
1: <laughs> so then I agree I think that welcome to the dollhouse is the perfect place to start to get a taster of this guy but then, a Mason. You eventually you graduate from college and you move to LA. Uh, and when I first moved to LA, and I didn't fully understand what it meant to live in North Hollywood and drive to uh, the Sawtelle, West Los Angeles area on a oh, regular shit. basis. Oh shit! I, I got a cinephile membership uh, at the Cinephile Movie Store. Oh yeah, uh, in the Sawtelle, like near the New Art, basically, mm-hmm. right next door. And uh I don't know if I've said this on the pod before, but I'll just say it again. I actually conned the the young man working at the Cinephile movie store because my friend of a friend of the pod, actually Dustin Titcomb, hey. said to me that if you go to Cinephile video and you tell them that you were at the all that jazz secret movie club screening at the Vista, you will get a free month of membership at. The Cinephile Video Store in, the they fuck? said Santa Monica, yeah. but it was, you know, it's Sawtelle, whatever, you know, LA humor. And so <laughs> uh, I did. I went into the store, not having gone to the Vista Theater to see all that jazz, and I tricked them. I said, excuse me, I was told that uh, if you went to the if, all that jazz screening at the Vista Theater, the Secret Movie Club, that you get a free month at Cinephile. And they said... Oh, you're the first person to come in and ask us about that. And Holy I was shit, like, really? Uh, yes, and I was like, oh boy, I am in deep water now. And so uh, he's like, I'm like, well, that's what uh, that's what the guys at the at the front said at the very beginning of the movie. <laughs> and they were like, okay, uh, I gotta call him and check on this. And I'm like, oh my god, he's literally calling the guy who runs the secret movie club right now. And so he calls him and says to him, I cannot remember for the life of me what that guy's name is. And I wish yeah. Dustin was here right by my side to tell me. Cause he would know. I think it's, I don't know. Fuck it. Who cares? And so he calls the guy and he's like, Hey, uh, we have this kid in here and he's saying that you get a free month. If you mention the secret movie club discount, you know, it's in And he goes, okay. Uh-huh. All right, man. Sounds good. Have a good day. And he hangs up and he goes, yeah, man, you're right. You're the first guy to come in here and ask. (laughs) And I was like, yes, this is awesome. And then he gives me the look and he goes, any chance I could see the movie ticket that you have just to verify? And I was like, oh no, he's getting me. He's about to get me. So I legitimately just said, oh, I don't have it anymore. I threw it away after I left. And he looked at me for about three seconds. One, two, three, with just these big eyes. And he went, Okay, yeah, that makes sense. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just gave me the free month and signed me up. And it was kind of amazing a little bit. I was like, wow, anything is possible you in Los stam- Angeles. I moved here <laughs> I moved here three weeks ago. This is incredible. I love this place.
0: And so that's how the story – Is that where you rented other Todd Talon's movies? Is that, but that's a great yes, story. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah,
1: so, so, yeah, so that's where I rented uh, Palindromes and Storytelling. And Palindrome. both of those – are insane yeah i uh
0: storytelling is insane palindromes has the distinction of being um one of only two movies i ever walked out of it seeing in the theater did not see Whoa. palindromes when i was a kid let's say that i remember going at apple.com trailers and seeing a trailer for the movie palindromes and not understanding what it was about but seeing that sure. roger Ebert gave it two thumbs up or whatever liked it or whatever perfect Sort of was locked in my memory. Then I'm watching Welcome to the Dollhouse, I think sometime in college, probably uh, uh, acquired it somehow. Uh, Having heard about Happiness, but had not seen Happiness uh, at that point. And again, watching Welcome to the Dollhouse, I was like, this is a pretty fucked up movie, but I like it. And then I watch Happiness, and I'm like, this is a really fucked up movie, and it's uh, one of my favorite movies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've seen Happiness, I think maybe two or three times. Um, and when I first moved to LA, I was living in North Hollywood and storytelling was on prime. and I'm like, I haven't, and it was right when wiener dog came out. Um, and actually funny story. I hadn't thought about the story in a while. So I, when I lived, uh, I was right by the Lemley in NoHo, which I'm sure we've talked about. And one day, I'm like Love sitting in the, the fucking Lemley, sitting in Nova. my apartment, Love. I'm not doing anything, and I'm like, I'm just gonna walk to the Lemley and just see a movie, whatever it is, because I can do that. Sure. And there were competing showtimes. One was Wiener Dog, and one was What Hunt for the Wilder People. And my buddy, one of my buddies, was going to see Hunt for the Wilder People and was gonna like tell me if it was good. Like, when he got out. And I'm, like, standing in line at the Lemley, and he, like, messages my group chain. He's like, "Hum for the Wilder People is so fucking good. You guys got to go see it. So I'm like, fuck it. I guess that's what I'm seeing today. Or sure. whatever. Um, so he's see Hunt for the Wilder People in theaters, and I'm like, fuck, I got to get my salons fixed. And so then what I do is I, like, go back home, and storytelling is on Amazon Prime, and so I watch that. And then not too, not a couple weeks later, I feel... The former, uh, the former Space Cine family was having a screening of Welcome to the Dollhouse and Palindromes, and Todd Salons was there, and Heather so and I, f- I think some other people. So I went to see... Oh, wow. Yeah, I went to see Welcome to the Dollhouse, Todd Salons was there, and Todd Salons is a... Todd Salons character, basically, in real life. Uh, it was very right. fun. Fun screening. Um, but for whatever reason, I was just so tired that day that when Palindromes started, and I was like... I can't take, like, five hours of whatever this is in a row. Like, I got to get up. I, like, get up from in the middle of palindromes and I leave. And I, n- I still have not finished that movie. Uh, the other movie that I walked out on was, um, I think it's called Cuba or something. It's a Sean Connery movie. There It was a double bill at the New Beverly. And it was the same thing. I was, like, so sleepy during the middle of that movie. Or in the
1: beginning of that movie, I'm like, I'm just not going to finish this. So I walked out. Uh, caught up with Wiener See, Dog later. I don't think, I, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I feel like that almost doesn't count. Like, I feel like I feel like if you're, like, really walking out of the movie, it's like, man, this fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Like, goddamn, yeah. I don't want to watch this shit anymore. I feel like that's very fair at, like, a double billing to walk out. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Oh, I also forgot to mention the movie Dark Horse, which I think I actually do want to bring on this pod, but it was on Netflix Uh-oh. at some point. Uh, and I watched that, and that movie, uh, Dark Horse, is really fucking good, I think. Um, but today... We're talking about his Criterion Collection anointed film.
1: <laughs> is for some fucking reason the it's only so one weird. that's anointed that. Because I
0: remember seeing like I feel like I remember seeing the trailer for this movie and again not registering, and then being at the Barnes and Noble and seeing this movie called Life During Wartime and seeing that like the, the the cover, which is that like painting of Timmy holding like a white tulip and thinking like, oh, this is like A war movie like this is about a family that is like living during like war like korea or like the cold war or something uh not realizing that it's a movie about like the possibility of forgiveness (laughs) or yeah yeah it's 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 and it's there's a little bit of like kind of bush era like like living through like kind of iraq Iran, like that kind of like kind of political reality that like late two thousands, um, like mid war in Afghanistan, mid Iraq war, like, like patriotism on the decline. Like, why are we still fighting these these nonsense wars? Um, what are we doing this all for? Like, it, it, what is like? I love that this is a movie that is about like America's capacity for for forgiveness deeply when we're deeply entrenched in a war and like post nine eleven. Like, that's a that was a thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie.
1: I think that's just the key the is thinking that's what you I think that's what you just said. And he's gone on record as saying that the reason he fucking made this movie in the first place is because he wanted to check in on these characters in a post nine eleven world. Like that it, is yeah. like what he wanted to do with this movie. And uh spoiler alert, I'm just gonna come out and say it, uh I didn't like it. I don't think this works. I don't think this is a good movie. But I love Todd Salons, and I really respect the fact that he wanted to do this. Uh, I just think it misfires. But we can get into it. I just yeah, I just yeah. think it has some problems. Uh, I th- but I think it's really cool that he wanted to check in on these characters. I think he just did it in a not very effective way. But I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jumping on you. No, no, no. I think that, so,
0: you know, the, the like, it's crazy that, like, uh, happiness came out the same year as american beauty and i think does sure. way better of um tackling the same things as american beauty and american beauty is like the kind of it won all those fucking oscars um it, it's like you know it it's it's it was de- at least when i was like in my young cinephile stage american beauty was like a big movie like oh shit like the suburbs are so bad man like it's just all fake sure. or whatever you know uh, and that's just, I don't think that's a very good movie. I haven't seen it probably in close to 10 years, and I don't really care to because I'm sure that it uh, is a nightmare. But the thing with Happiness is, like, you're meant to kind of take pity on the characters, I think, in American Beauty. But with Tatsalon's Happiness, like, it's really, like, testing your ability to empathize with a bunch of fucking, like, totally. certifiably, like bad people (laughs) yeah you know
1: certifiably cool people
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it's like people that like you know one of the main PSH does an incredible performance in that movie as a as a obscene phone caller and uh like a guy that just will like blind call women and say just the most um disgusting things to them like a certifiably like uh not a good guy the Dylan Baker character is as a psychiatrist who's also a pedophile. And, like, tr- and, right. uh, is, like, per- actively pursuing one of his son's friends. Um, but the magic of happiness is that, like, somehow Todd Salons makes you feel bad for these people, almost. Yep. And in this movie, it's all about if those people are worthy of forgiveness. And it doesn't seem like – at least when I was watching this movie, I'm like, it's an interesting – I think it makes sense – to pursue that as an idea for the sequel um and it's also an interesting experiment to cast like all new people in these roles right and i think that the fact that there's new people probably due to like scheduling or whatever you know there's a million different ways and reasons why you couldn't cast and that's a thing that he does also in his filmography he recasts don wiener and messes with his own like kind of internal chronology there but if you're like, you have a history with these characters and then you're seeing like new people play them, it's so weird. Like, the only thing that works for the thing that works best for me in the movie is that Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman plays the John yeah. Lovitz character. Like, that was the yeah. thing, like, immediately is like, that's almost a saving grace of the movie for me. And I do totally. love the bit of stunt casting of Michael K. Williams, who's like, always gets ta- ca- cast as this, like, tough guy as right. the the pathetic Philip Seymour Hoffman character. It was a movie that, like, I think that it's, I, I'm with you, man. I think that, the, like, it's a fresh kind of watch for me. I watched it earlier before, like, almost right before recording. And it's right. just, like, kind of not sitting with me, you know? Like,
1: I kind of watched it, and it came and went almost. And it's just, like. It, I mean, it, it, and, it, and yeah. it's by Salonza's. Own sword, and that's kind of the disappointing thing I feel like, because a lot of the things that he does so well are apparent in this movie. His incredible knack for writing characters, complex, interesting characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still there, but his salonsness of casting entirely new people pretty much makes it a, a moot point. I feel like you know, it's I really agree. hard. Yeah. I mean, Michael K. Williams is an incredible actor. Like, he just is. Like, for mm-hmm. example. But that was Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. I That know. character came alive in happiness because of Philip Seymour Hoffman with the Todd Solange magic, you know, that he yeah. gives. Michael K. Williams, incredible actor. But you have to have Philip Seymour Hoffman play that character. I just don't see another way around it, you know? I definitely
0: agree, especially with where that character ends up. And I think... There's some like like I was saying, I think the casting of Paul Rubens in the John Lovitz character as the John Lovitz character works. I think Allison Janney really works well in this movie just cuz Allison Janney sure. is always incredible. But it is I'm I'm ugh, I'm such a huge Jane Adams fan and I was so disappointed that they recast Joy to I can't even remember the other actor's name. Yeah, um, I can't
1: even when we look it up here, but it's uh what is her name? fuck what is Shirley Henderson
0: Shirley Henderson yeah I like Shirley Henderson too I think she's a good actor um, but it's just such an it's such when you're coming down from Jane Adams it, it just seems so strange also like Dylan Baker does, is so good as I know. Thomas Maplewood in the first movie like one of honestly I think one of my favorite performances in the, is, the yeah. age, is, is um, Dylan Baker and I don't dislike Kieran Hines and I definitely understand what he's going for and I think that like if you could like I think recasting Kieran Hines in that role is not a bad move necessarily, because I think Kieran Hines has this intensity to him. But the entire time I'm watching it, I'm just like, man, I wanna see Dylan Baker like sadly hook up with uh and strike with the Char- money from a Charlotte Rambling. <laughs> totally. Um,
1: I will say though, I think that the my favorite parts of this movie are the uh, are the Bill Maplewood like continuation yeah. of the pedophile mm-hmm. psychiatrist? I think that is the most interesting um aspect because I think it's the clearest example of what he's asking, which is, are you able to forgive? Yeah, at what extent can you not forgive? And I think it's the clearest, most uh well-defined example because in that even in happiness, that's kind of the centerpiece story as well, and it ends so crazily. <laughs> and then in Life yeah. During Wartime, you see him get out of prison for it. He barely talks, also, in the movie. It's a great
0: <laughs> it's a great silent and like just purely physical performance from Kieran Hines.
1: It is. And that's and it's no fault of any of these actors. They're doing good work. Todd Solondz has just put them in an impossible position because even Allison Janey and even, you know, Paul Rubens, who are great actors. I mean, Paul Rubens is doing of a lot of fucking acting in this movie. Like, he's really giving it, you know, his all. I've never thought I would ever yeah, see Pee Wee Herman yeah. cry like that, you know, on screen. But Todd Salons has put them in an I unwinnable know, yeah. situation. You know what I mean? Like, just unwinnable. Exactly. I think... Yeah, I think so too. Um...
0: Yeah, I'm also trying to think of like what's some other stuff from this. Gabby Hoffman's... I am just I just like the cast the most. I think the scene between... The best like kind of scene for me is the scene between um, Bill Maplewood and Billy, uh, his oldest totally. son. Probably the best totally. scene in the movie for me. Because like... You know, spoilers for the movie Happiness. Um... But this, which you
1: absolutely have to go out and see Which you do, which
0: I, it does like, you know, if, if the subject matter seems like it would keep you at an edge from it, like we're not pressuring you to see it. If it's, if it sounds at least, at least a little interesting, I think it's a really complicated, a complex movie. Um, but I think is also a ve- like something of a late, like American masterpiece in a way. I think. totally I really love this, that movie, but there's the scene where, towards the end where billy and bill like are talking to each other and breaking down into tears and i don't want to say what their subject matter is but they're like crying and having this this like moment of this father like a son realizing who his father is and that his father is this deeply um like this this deep betrayal he feels towards his father for what he's done and this the dad realizing that he um like because of these these impulses that he did had no like could not control any longer that he just had to like act on that he is like causing a rift with his like his son and you like the text of that scene is so dark and almost so funny but they're crying and you feel like they're crying it's this really complicated like stew that he's giving you and there's almost nothing like it in this movie except for, like, when they're together again. And you're watching, you're like, god damn, like, these guys haven't seen each other in, like, what, like, 10 or 15 years or whatever since the events of right. the first movie. And the conversation that they have, like, because, like, because they, uh, of their, his- their history with each other. Because Alice and Janney, as the mom, has kept the dad's, the truth about the dad a secret, um, from the younger kids, Um, but this, the, this, the son and this Billy and Bill, the dad, their relationship and how that gets developed and where it ends is, is like so heartbreaking is the most I felt for anything in this movie. Almost.
1: Totally. It's, I it's, I think it's easily the best scene in the movie. Um, I think that, you know, uh, literally if you had just given me that scene, you know, with, dylan baker and then whoever played the oldest son you know then grown up or whoever i don't give a fuck i just want dylan baker back in that role but you know like you know you just give us that scene again i would be totally fine with that i don't even think i need life during wartime to be totally honest with you the fact that it actually has a criterion spine over over happiness over welcome to the dollhouse yeah over i would even rather have storytelling have a criterion spine over this movie like the fact that they thought that this was the salons to put in the collection i haven't seen uh dark horse or wiener dog but this i think is the weakest salons film i've seen and it really sucks to say that
0: yeah i of the ones that i've seen this is probably you know my least favorite i would think um, totally the only one, like I said, the only ones that I haven't seen all the way through are Palindromes in his very first movie. Um, oh, sure. But, yeah, it's it's just like, I don't know, the, the shadow of happiness just loomed so long over this movie. And it's like, I don't know, I, I wish it was could be any other way, but I just, I can't recommend this movie. I don't recommend this movie. I can't movie. either. Yeah. I can't.
1: Like I, I, But I will say... Uh, I recommend every other Todd Salon's film I've ever seen. I absolutely recommend, you know, it is a heavy film, but I do recommend Happiness if you are able, you know, to get behind what is that, what that movie is. Um, and I actually, I want to defend American Beauty a little bit because I have okay. a little bit of a weird relationship with that film in the sense that the first time I saw American Beauty, I was sophomore, maybe junior in high school. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, oh my God, this is the movie I've been waiting to see my entire fucking life. You know what I mean? You
0: feel that when you're like, how old were you? Did you say you were when you
1: watched that? Uh, I was like 15 or 16. Yeah. When you're 15
0: or 16, American beauty is like the movie like that you think that you're waiting for. 100%
1: and I like loved it and I completely lauded it and then I remember I gave it a rewatch the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college and I was like how the fuck did I ever think that this movie was good like I was like damn like this fucking sucks like this is just whiny and not very well written blah 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 I was completely... I think Anti- it's, a pretty, American Beauty.
0: it's a pretty good. It's a. I think it's a pretty okay written movie. It's just that Sam Mendes takes this the content at face value and doesn't realize that what it's like a black comedy. You know, like it was written as a dark comedy. Sure. I'm pretty sure. And Sam Mendes is like, oh no, this is this like grand tragedy or something. And when you're watching it as an adult or older than fifteen or sixteen, you're just like, this is so fucking phony, man. This this is just so shitty. But
1: I will say, but- <laughs> I rewatched it. Uh, maybe, like, within the last year, year and a half, you know, oh. at some point. And I really liked it again. I recognize the fact that it is not nearly the, like, most incredible film, you know, that maybe it's lauded out to be, or at least the Academy recognized it as. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think that there's some really good stuff going on in that movie, but it is now forever tainted by what we know about Kevin Spacey. So if you are watching this movie for the first time in present day, uh, it might be a real tough barrier to actually realize the fact, uh, or not even realize the fact, but just to get behind what's actually going on because of how, Kevin Spacey's life has turned out and what we know about him now, yep. which is, you know, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not defending Kevin Spacey at all. He did a fucking, you know, terrible shit. He's, he's, he's evil. He's, he's a bad guy. He should, he should be, you know, uh, far away from the rest of civilization, you know? And yep. if you're able to watch this movie, you know, I do think that American beauty does get a little bit unfairly shit on because I think there's some really good stuff in that movie. But I will say, I think happiness does a better job of what American Beauty sets out to do and what yeah, it tries if to do. Yeah, you can find
0: happiness, it's such a difficult movie to come across. I feel unless you're uh, acquiring it through extra legal means, let's just say it's a sure. difficult. It's a difficult. Uh, it's a difficult find for sure. But uh, yeah, you're not a no recommendo on Life Turnover Oh, Time.
1: yeah, it's a big no recommendo. But like I said, big recommend on happiness. Big recommend on Welcome to the Dollhouse, like you yeah. said, Mason. I think that is the best place to probably start with Todd salons. And then big recommend on Palindromes, actually. Like, oh, I think that that okay. is a very underrated film. And he does some salons crazy shit with casting in that movie, but I think it works better than in Life During Wartime. Yeah. And then big recommend on storytelling as well. It's definitely not an essential salons, but like if you like him, very much worth the watch. And I yeah. have to watch Dark Horse and Wiener Dog myself.
0: Definitely. Alright. Well, is that the show then? Have we have the yeah, tired boys that's done show, it? That's the fucking show, yeah. baby. Alright. Short show this week, folks, but I guess there's other stuff we gotta be doing. Uh, this week got another I found another uh, community resource. Cool thing to donate to this week. It is the Black Hills Bail and Legal Defense Fund. Black Hill Nice uh, legal defense funds very important now, especially this cause. So if you were not aware, folks, dear listeners, uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, was erected, uh, on the face of a, I believe, a Sioux, uh, holy site, the Six Grandfathers Mountain, uh, very deliberate. And they put, uh, four presidents on there that in their own little ways, um, contributed to the genocide of the Native American populations, um, throughout their tenure. Uh, and so, uh, recently, um indigenous people uh were defending the sacred lands in the black hills i believe donald trump is doing a big old speech there and either has or did uh totally a normal thing defending that right. uh great uh, uh but anyways indigenous people and allies were in the pro uh, from the this is from bhlegalfund.org which we will link to in the show Uh, On July 3rd, 2020, indigenous people and our allies were arrested in the process of defending our sacred lands in the Black Hills. Acts of courage and civil disobedience resulted in arrest and criminal charges. We were protesting the desecration of sacred lands that were stolen from our people. So um, they have um, an about page, a demands page where you can get more information from um, that and a donate page as well. So bhlegalfund.org, the Black Hills Bail and Legal Defense Fund. Uh, If you want to get in contact with the show... Aside from that, we are on Twitter. It's on the list pod. We are on Instagram. It's on underscore the list. We are on Facebook. Everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list. Uh, Facebook.com slash everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list. That's also where you can email us. Everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list at gmail.com. Am I missing anything from our pluggables there? Cool. So uh, you can find me, Mason, on Instagram at hotdogdebicki.com on Letterboxd, under my name, on uh, my other podcast, The Bar and a Podcast about The Shield. And like I said, walking around the streets of Logan Square with my mask on, we will oh, hug, nice. I don't know, do little elbows. I don't know. We'll, elbows, we'll, yeah. We'll Bow. See. Bow. Tip your no. hat. Tip, I think hat, tipping of the hat is going to make a big comeback these days. But, <laughs> Damn, uh, that'll be good. I think Oh, I, I. think that about does it for me. Noe, we're going to yes, hook find you. you can.
1: You can find me on Instagram at noah.marger. That's not spelled D O T. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Moa Narger. You can find me on Letterboxd, Moa Narger. You can listen to my other freaking podcast what? if you want to. That is my favorite podcast. You can find us on Twitter at my favorite pod, and you can follow us on Instagram at my favorite underscore podcast. I talk to people about their favorite things. Uh, I have an episode coming out this coming week with the none other than Federico Busiglio of Wild G Fame what? and we will be discussing <laughs> we will be discussing the Austin Powers trilogy. Hell so yeah, brother. If that Hell interests yeah. you at all, that's an episode that will be coming out this coming week, but we have five other wonderful episodes that you can listen to about photography or video games or uh whatever you know we got some fun stuff mason eventually will make his way to be a guest on that show so if you don't have enough it's on the list content uh there'll be another episode of some shit and mason will be playing by my rules on that podcast yeah, baby. Yeah. so uh watch out and then of course you can follow G on instagram at wildg.world if you want some comedy maybe we'll have some new stuff soon that that maybe who knows i have no fucking idea i have no idea what's going on with that but maybe we will maybe we won't but uh enjoy your july 6th because that's when this episode comes out have a good
0: week everybody stay stay safe stay good stay well and we will see you all next time black lives matter black trans lives matter defund abolish the police a better world is coming and uh sit tight don't sit tight go out and fight for it whatever